0: My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Hi, friends, and happy Mother's Day. And a very happy Mother's Day to my own mother, who gets to be here with me today. It's hard to believe that it's been a full year since I've stood here. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Amy Velosen, and I was a teacher in the Puggle class, which is the early three Awana class here at Stewart Heights for about 13 years. And Jim has asked me to teach on Mother's Day for a while now. I feel like I've said 10 years the past three times I've stood here. I enjoy being here on Mother's Day, but I will say that this one hits a little bit different. My wonderful grandmother passed away a little over a month ago but I had the honor and privilege to use some of her materials, her commentaries and old Sunday school material, because she taught Sunday school at her home church for years. But I had the privilege of using her materials for this lesson. And I will say that I teared up more than once when reading through all the things that she had underlined, always in pencil. She had great taste and resources, and I will be quoting from her books, the Holman Commentary by Max Anders, and the J. Vernon McGee Commentaries today. Thank you for allowing me to stand here, for allowing me to teach from the Green Book today. It is not lost on me that today is different than the past times that I've stood here, and I'm happy to be here today and to share what God has laid on my heart. As I've said before, my teaching technique is different than Jim's. I am grateful for every opportunity that I have to stand before you and to read God's word. Jim mentioned last week in his lesson that he and I had a discussion over what we were going to cover today. What he would cover, where I would pick up, how many verses I would do. I told him what I was thinking and that he said he would go through the first verse and then he would talk the structure of Philippians. And he asked if I was okay with that. I said, yeah, I am. I don't talk structure. He can. I won't. That is not my forte. But that is the one thing I love about Jim and this class. He can talk structure. He can give the fine details and tie it all back to Jesus. I won't talk structure because that's not what I do. I think standing here is not what I do, but I continue to stand here because I love Jesus and I enjoy talking about him So, with that being said, let's talk about Jesus. Let's read Philippians 3. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision. The ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Regarding the righteousness that is the law, blameless. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. So that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed in his death. Assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Now that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heaven calling Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us all who mature this think this way, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal that to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, now, and now say again with tears, and many love, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, And they are focused on early things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown in the manner of stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. We are on page 22 of the green books today so as a reminder paul is in jail and he is writing to the church at philippi and we will discuss this a little bit more later on so just leave that in the back of your head verse one in addition my brothers and sisters rejoice in the lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is a safeguard for you in addition here means something remaining Sometimes the translations use finally instead of in addition. To us, finally means a conclusion or that we are nearing the end. And that is not the case here. We are not the end of this letter. I like in addition. That means Paul is just getting started. He refers to the audience of this letter as brothers and sisters. This has meaning for Paul. This church meant something to him. And he goes on to say, rejoice this is not a passive feeling. It means to be cheerful, and it is a command. It is not based on thoughts or feelings or our situation. It should be a commitment. Paul does not stop here with just rejoice. He goes on to say, rejoice in the Lord. Last week, Jim mentioned that we need to repeat what needs to be repeated, and he also said that reminders to rejoice are good. Well, good news, because I'm doing both. While he covered verse one last week, I will be repeating some reminders that rejoicing is good. This reminder is the reminder that I tell myself all the time, that I do not rejoice in the circumstance. I do not rejoice in the situation. I do not rejoice in the hard times. I rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice in the one that holds my circumstance. I rejoice in the one that watches over my situation. I rejoice in the one that is walking with me through the hard times. The word rejoice here is an imperative. It's a command to rejoice in the Lord. Just like I had the privilege to read through my G mother's commentaries and old Sunday school materials, we have the privilege to rejoice in the Lord. We have the privilege to rejoice in the one that breathed life into the word. The one that created us for purpose, for meaning, and for a distinct reason. The command to rejoice will return later in Philippians. So if reminders to rejoice are good, and repeating needs to be repeated is good, then again I will say, rejoice in the Lord. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. We need to hold on to the words in the Lord. If you simply cannot rejoice, and I have been there, then be in the Lord. If you can't be cheerful, be in the Lord. If you just can't be, be in the Lord. I promise you, you will find yourself rejoicing. So again, I say, rejoice. One of my new favorite songs is called Reason to Praise by Bethel Music. And some of the lyrics to that song say, When I am at my end, you are just getting started. When I hit a wall, you just walk through. When I face a mountain, you are the maker, so it's gotta move. When I'm out of faith, you are still faithful. When I'm at my worst, you are still good. In all of my questions, you are the answers. It all points to you. Cause you're the God of the breakthrough when I'm breaking down, and you'll be working your way through when there's no way out. This one thing I know, you're still on the throne, so whatever I'm feeling, I've still got a reason to praise. We've all got a reason to praise. No matter the reason, no matter how little, we can all rejoice in the Lord. Verse 2, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. We go straight from one command to rejoice to another command to watch out. Watch out is mentioned as an imperative, a command, three times in this verse alone. Watch out for the dogs. Paul is referring to the Judaizers here. And the Judaizers were those who regarded the Levitical law of the Old Testament as still binding to all Christians. Here, Paul is literally calling them dogs, and doing so would have been a major insult to them. Paul was critical of the Judaizers because they thought that keeping the law, checking it all off, doing all of the works, is what salvation was. In my G. Mother's J. Vernon McGee commentary, he wrote, and she underlined, because of men who constantly comforting you are not giving you the word of God, beware. These were the Judaizers. The Philippian church was being tested, and Paul was warning them against these dogs, warning them not to give in, not to fall victim to what the Judaizers were saying. It may have sounded comforting, but it wasn't based on truth. It wasn't based on Christ. It might have been tempting to the church to give in, to practice a few of the elements of the Judaizers, just to get a little relief from the persecutions but Paul was extremely straightforward when he said to them, watch out. Watch out for the evil workers. Evil here meaning worthless or depraved, and workers meaning toilers. Paul is warning against those who are worthlessly toiling in depravity. The evil workers were just that. They were working in evil, toiling in depravity. That should make a stop, folks, because we've got those people in our society today. We need to watch out too. We cannot get to God by tirelessly doing his work. God sees all that we do, and we will be rewarded for our work in him if the work we are doing is in response to his free gift of salvation, and if we have lovingly placed our faith, our hope, our trust in him alone. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. There are those during this time who would say that salvation came through Christ plus work. Christ plus circumcision. These Jews declared that circumcision pleased God. Paul declares these mutilators of the flesh. True faith does not come through any ritual. It does not come through anything from the flesh. It only comes from God's grace and his mercy towards those who have surrendered their lives to him. As parents, we can say watch out to our children. Do we just say it once? It's an imperative. It's a command. So we're going to say it loud, and we're going to say it often. The command to watch out here is important. Paul was warning the church at Philippians to be careful, to watch out for these dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. To watch out for those who are not speaking truth and who are deliberately speaking out against the faith of God and those who say salvation is faith plus other things. Isaiah 56.10 says, His watchmen are blind. They are without knowledge. They are silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, laying down, loving to slumber. Here, Isaiah is warning against false prophets, those who are attempting to comfort the people, and who are not speaking truth. They are offering a false sense of security. Paul is giving the same warning, commanding them to watch out and look out for false teachers, for the dogs, and for those who are mutilating the flesh, who are saying comforting things but are not speaking the truth. Verse 3. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, And do not put confidence in the flesh. For we are the circumcision. Circumcision here meaning circumcision. Paul is doing a little play on words. He is taking an external ritual that the church of Philippi would have been familiar with and relating it to faith. J. Vernon McGee said that true circumcision is of the heart. It's the new birth, a new attitude towards God. True circumcision is being in Christ meaning that our faith is faith. No external action needed. Paul is saying to not put faith in the ritual of circumcision or any ritual. This, is what, this was in complete opposition of what the Judaizers were saying. They were teaching that you had to be circumcised to be acceptable to God. As a believer, we know that Christ has us covered. The battle is over. God's already won. However, when we are at our lowest when we are doubting ourselves, his love, the truth, it might be easier to think that if we do all these things, if we check everything off our list, then we're good. If we obey the laws, if we meet these certain criteria, then God will love us. But the wonderful, beautiful, amazing, marvelous thing about our God is that's not true. We do nothing. He has already taken it all on him and we just need to cry out to him for grace and mercy. Galatians six fifteen says, neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. First, who knew I would say circumcision so many times, and on Mother's Day too, like whoosh. Verse 3 again, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. The ones who worship by the Spirit of God. Paul is saying that we worship through God. No other means. Nothing we can externally do will add to our salvation. And boast in Christ Jesus. Boast here means to vaunt. I looked vaunt up, and it means to boast about or praise something, especially excessively. Paul is telling them to praise Jesus excessively. We do not boast about our own acts, about what we have done or what, even what we haven't done. We boast in the one who saved us. He saved us from filth and he made us new. We do not rely on our old nature. We do not rely on God alone. We can gain salvation by doing all amounts of acts for God. Even good works are not the means to salvation. Jeremiah nine twenty four says, But let him who boasts, boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. We boast in him, not of ourselves. We boast of his works, his love, his forgiveness. And do not put confidence in the flesh. Our green books indicate that the flesh here means, by implication, human nature, with its frailties, physical or moral, and its passions. We are to not put our confidence in here, in the human nature, in all of its flaws, of ourselves or others. Our confidence, our hope, our faith should only be in Christ. The flesh will let us down. Christ is our true hope and our support and our means of salvation. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence, in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. According to the Judaizers, Paul would have had reason for confidence. Paul is about to list his confidence in the flesh in the next verse and the things that made him look good in the eyes of the Judaizers. It took me a really long time to realize that Paul says confidence in the flesh three times in verses three and four. Repeat what needs to be repeated. Maybe this is something we need to pay attention to. He is sure to say in the flesh, meaning this is purely and worldly, not godly based. He wants to make sure that the reader knows the difference between in the flesh and solely based on God. Verse 5, this is his list. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Mount Sinai might sound like he's bragging about himself a little bit. If anyone thinks they have confidence in the flesh, I have more. However, we need to notice he is still saying in the flesh, meaning if any of these things mattered, I would be one of the best. I have reason to boast. Look at all I've done. I have all of this tied to my name, my lineage, my action, my heritage, everything. He is saying that his list of achievements, his works, means nothing. And they did not add to his salvation. Paul lays out his list. And again, it is substantial. Circumcised on the eighth day. Paul mentions this to show that he had religious parents. They are the ones that took him to be circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. He is saying he has a background and a strong one. He belonged of the tribe of Benjamin. This is like saying he belongs to the best family. Benjamin, meaning son of the right hand, was Jacob's favorite son. Paul was saying, look at my background, look at my heritage. A Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying he is a leader. He's at the top. To the law, a Pharisee. On page 33 of the Green Book, Pharisee meaning a separatist, exclusively religious, saying he had perceived political power and prestige with this position. By all outward appearances, Paul had the perfect history. Verse 6, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Paul at this time was determined in his persecution of the church. Zeal here, when used against speaking of an enemy, means malice. Persecuting means pursue. He was fully pursuing the church with malice. Galatians one13 14 says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. To the religious leaders, Paul had a lot to be proud of his heritage, his family, his leadership, Paul was reminding the Philippians that he was at the top. And then he says he's blameless. He is saying that he was blameless as the righteousness of the old law. He kept the law. He was a leader of it. He was blameless just of the wrong thing. Remember his list? He adds blameless here to show how much it meant to those he surrounded himself with then. So I ask you, what would have been on your list? Mine, of the Edwards family, raised in a Christian home by respected parents, attended all the kids' events at church, confirmation class in the fifth grade of the Methodist church, youth leader for several years, baptized in the Baptist church when I got married. I do devotionals, I teach puggles, I pray, I Bible studies. My list could go on. And But and I literally have like dot, dot, dot in my notes. These items did not save me. This list does not mention his grace. It does not mention God's love, his sacrifice, his salvation. This is all about my flesh. We are not to rely on the flesh. We do not rely on, his, on our own works. We do not boast about our own flesh. In Max Anders' commentary, I, I used, and my G-mother circled this one. True righteousness comes from personal faith in Christ. In verse 7, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. But, hard stop here, but it doesn't count, but it doesn't matter, but I consider it loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever I had, I consider it loss for the sake of Christ. None of it matters. The rank, the lineage, the action, nothing I did was able to do anything for me. My husband, Matt, has recently gotten into collecting football cards, mainly the Titans and even more so Derrick Henry. Now, when Jay was younger, he was really into collecting football cards and had binders and binders of them. A while ago, Matt and Jay were looking through all of Jacob's old cards and just seeing what value was there, seeing what he had. And as time went on, Jacob was doing something in his room and and he was keep finding these cards like tucked in just like random places of his room, like way at the back of a closet, way in the back of a drawer, like he just kept finding them. One day he came out of his room and he goes, oh dad, you won't believe what I just found. It was a Derrick Henry rated rookie card. Now, let me say, I know nothing about football cards. The sport, I know. Cards, not so much. But there is a whole world of card collecting, of especially of football cards. And a rated rookie, Derrick Henry, in mint condition, could have a really high value. This card, not in mint condition. Hey Mom, get just because of where it was found. Back of a closet, bent corners, dusty. (laughs) No value. But aren't you glad that when we get to heaven, we are not going to be looked at for what damages us. We are not going to be looked at for what depletes our value. We are going to be looked at, and Jesus is going to say, bent corners, rescued from the back of a closet shelf, Dusty, this one's mine. High value, this one's mine. We cannot fix ourselves. And this ties back to the rituals, to the circumcision that the Judaizers said had to be done. Only God can fix us. Only God can save us. It's not by works, rituals, or anything else. It's grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says... God's word says that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and not by our own works or efforts. Also, Romans eleven six, but if by grace it is no longer basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. I'm going to read that one again. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. It's not of works. It is only through his grace. If this were true, then God's grace wouldn't be grace. God's grace is true and perfect. God's grace is a gift. It's a true gift. Some commentaries that I read mention that Paul starts chapter 3 with rejoice in the Lord, and then he discusses some doctoral issues, his own example, and then he discusses some more doctoral issues, And he ends again with rejoice in the Lord in Philippians 4.4. And I have actually taught on that verse, and more than likely on Mother's Day. As I mentioned at the start, Paul is in prison, and he is writing this letter to his friends. He is pouring his heart out to his friends. He is talking Jesus to his friends. I had the great opportunity to have dinner with a friend of mine earlier last week, and we talked Jesus to each other. We poured our heart out to each other. We just shared what was on our hearts. It was such a comfort to share what was on my heart and to know that she felt comfortable pouring out what was in hers. I pray you all have people in your life like this, someone you can soak up Jesus with. This is what Paul was doing. He was sharing his heart so that others could soak up Jesus. So applications and personalizations. Well, I could say just rejoice in the Lord and watch out, <clears throat> there is so much more to these verses. Application number one, look to verse one. In addition, my brothers and sisters. What does that mean, and what do I do with that? We pour Jesus into those around us. We pray for them. We love them like he loves us. We safeguard them and we do it over and over and over again. First Timothy two, 1 Timothy <clears throat> 2.1, in the message translation, says, the first thing I want you to do is pray. Pray every way you know how for everyone you know. Application number two, we need to keep our confidence in check. So what do we do about that? We keep our confidence in check. We focus on him, not on others. We look to him, not ourselves. We depend on him, not our own flesh. Hebrews four sixteen says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive grace to help us in our time of need, not in the confidence of ourselves, but in the full confidence of Christ our Savior. Application number three, we need to watch out. So what do we do? We watch out. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14 says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be a man of courage, be strong, do everything in love. This is one of my favorite verses. We need to be on our guard. We need to stand firm. We need to act in love. So watch out. And because I need to repeat what needs to be repeated and reminders to rejoice are good, application number four, rejoice in the Lord what can we do with that? We can rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4.4 4 says rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Looks like we get the message to repeat what needs to be repeated and remind us to rejoice right here. So let's rejoice in the Lord. Let's rejoice in the Lord again and again and again. Thank you for allowing me to stand here today and to talk to you about the word. Thank you for pouring into me and my family for so many years. To God be all the glory. Thank you so much. Happy Mother's Day.